0: From Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So we here at Extra Credit, we're mostly about trying to provide you some enhanced content, some, some in-depth, behind-the-scenes coverage of education topics, and, and making jokes about the terrible football teams that I root for. But this week is going to be just about enhanced content and behind-the-scenes Uh, Clark and I, uh, we have uh, three special guests in front of the microphone today uh, to break down what's happened the past few months on the Education Task Force, Our our Kids Idaho's future, and where we go from here. We have Bill Gilbert and Debbie Critchfield, the co-chairs of the Task Force, and Greg Wilson from the Governor's Office, all three joining us. uh, Welcome, take it away, Clark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, welcome, thanks for joining us, guys. This is kind of the story of our summer, but we want to take a deep dive on the Governor's K-12 Education Task Force, and we've got some of the key members of the Task Force and an official from the Governor's office. And so if I could just start uh, with introducing Debbie Critchfield, President of the State Board of Education. Uh, Just tell us a little bit uh, briefly about the role uh, that you played on the Task Force, Debbie.
2: Along with Bill, who is here, um, I was a co-chair of the Task Force. Our first meeting was the beginning of June, and uh, our 28th meeting, was um, the second week of November. And we're tired.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you were one of the co-chairs. We also have uh, Greg Wilson from the office of Idaho Governor Brad Little. You're his education liaison. Uh, But you also attended, I think, Every task force meeting and subcommittee meeting. There was
3: one subcommittee meeting I missed, and Bill doesn't let me forget that, (laughs) because we kind of compare notes. But yeah, no, I'm the governor's education policy advisor, and I was the primary staffer for the task force. I also had assistance from state board staff and the division of financial management staff.
1: All right, we have the other task force co chair in the office today, Bill Gilbert. Um, Not as familiar uh, to our folks in the education world, but tell us just briefly about your background And build the role that you played on the task force.
4: Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be uh, Debbie's uh, assistant through this process um, and co chair. Now, um, I was asked by the governor uh, to to be co chair of the task force. I um, come from the business community, obviously, uh, run a company uh, that's based here in Boise with offices throughout the West, um, have done a few things around the margins um, in education over the last number of years, uh, frankly more in higher ed, um, um, but a little bit in K-12, um, and was fortunate enough to get to be involved from the outset in, in this process.
1: All right. Thank you all so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I want to thank you once again for being here, but let's start at the beginning uh, with why the governor created this task force, kind of what the goals were, but take us back to the beginning. And, and, and provide that context of, of, of why we're here and, and what the objective was.
2: You want me to? Yeah, yeah if can we can start with Debbie. Okay. okay, and, and then I'll, I'll let Greg correct me where I'm wrong. Um, how I would um, summarize uh, the start of this, rather than our governor you know, sit in a room with one or two people, um, probably Greg would have been one of them. Maybe you. And um, discuss what his priorities and goals for the next you know so many years, four to five years, for education, uh, he thought why not get the perspective and um, experience of what Idahoans want. Uh, Those that are in the classroom, those that are parents, um, those that that make the laws and um, fund the initiatives and and so forth and we've got business leaders who also have a very important stake in the education of, of students and so out of What I'm putting together um, out of that um, desire came the task force. And Greg can talk to you a little bit more about how um, it was comprised, but we know that we had a main task force that had 25-ish, 26 26 members on it. And then from that, um, we broke into four subcommittees. And each of those not only had members of the, the full or main task force, but had added value by way of people who had maybe um, specific experience and knowledge about that topic so that we we could have really well-rounded and, and comprehensive um, discussion throughout the, the whole process over the over the co- course of the last five months.
1: Greg, what were uh, some of the goals from the governor? And, and he put, he, he stacked the task force with education stakeholders, administrators, business leaders from across the state, and political leaders, but what, what were your boss's goals with the task force and assembling yeah. that team.
3: Well, I think in the, in the State of the State, he talked about kind of fashioning another five-year plan. And I think he, he largely used the model of 2013 in the, in the, you know, that you brought together people, sometimes with different perspectives, and asked them to collaboratively work together to, to come up with kind of that next year, five-year plan. And so that's what the governor was doing here um with this plan and i think you've hit the nail on the head it was getting a very good cross-section of the stakeholders and patrons and the key policy makers in the education space in idaho um and and so what we did in um Posing or creating the task force is look at how that looked in 2013 and I think one of the things that we did was we added a few more legislators. We thought that, that was important that clearly a lot of our success is going to go right through the legislature um, with whatever the task force came up with and so we wanted to make sure that those voices were at the table.
1: And Bill, I think you're involved with Idaho Business for Education but Correct. why is a business leader, why is the business community interested in what happens at the K-12 public school level?
4: Well. Uh, obviously, the, the, there's a direct workforce component um, in the state that, you know, economically, our state can only grow and succeed to the extent that our education system is creating, um, you know, the, the, the kind of informed and educated and thoughtful workers that, that we need for, you know, the industries, and particularly not only the, the industries that have existed in Idaho for generations, but those that are, are coming to the state. And the reality is that, um, you know, Business has figured out, uh, particularly in Idaho, over the last number of years, that um, it's really ineffective to sit on the sidelines and um, lament uh, the the results in education in Idaho, um, and as it relates to the the, the, the supply of workers or the af- appropriate training of of the skills that are needed, both soft and hard skills. What's much more effective is to get involved and, um, and frankly there are a lot of things, um, th- there's a two-way opportunity for, for learning. What IBE has done a ph- phenomenal job of I think and is getting better all the time is, is helping to the educational uh, system, uh, you know, understand the needs of business a little bit more but also help them think maybe differently about the way they deliver education. And then on the other side, be a listener and understand, you know, obviously education is an incredibly complex and nuanced um, uh, system. And one of the things that, you know, I think businesses fail to understand how complex and nuanced it is and and, and what it really takes. And so getting involved to understand and listen. And so, you know, I I think what you have now are, Businesses and institutions across this state that want to be a part of positive change, of supporting the education um, uh, system in this state, supporting educators, and giving them and helping make the case for the resources um, that they need in order to produce the citizens that we need um, as employees going forward.
1: All right, thanks for that. And one of the things that the governor stressed from the outset. is that he wanted recommendations geared around kind of two focal points, kind of the governor's two focal points throughout his first year in office. And that's early childhood literacy on the one end of the spectrum, and it's college and career readiness on the other end of the spectrum. So we've got our team together with the 26 members across business, education, and and the political landscape. We've got the goals from the governor. Let's have Debbie and Bill just kind of walk us through the CliffsNotes version of the process, how, how the process came together, and how we came to these five recommendations. But we've got the main task force, we've got the subcommittees. Um, walk us through kind of where those recommendations came from and, and, and kind of a quick summary of, of the overall process that led us to those recommendations. And and uh, Debbie, would you like to start and then and Bill can help you
2: out? Sure. Um, first of all, I would not have taken any, any bet at, in June. <laughs> as to what those recommendations would be, ultimately. And I think it was very wise for our governor to say, here are the areas that I want you to focus on. Otherwise, um, just based on the on the the four subcommittees that we had, we had pages and pages of ideas relative to those areas. And um, it was, well, efficient as well, although there was a lot of discussion. So we had the four subcommittees, um, budget stability, uh, retaining uh, veteran teachers and supporting the teacher pipeline, uh, social, emotional, um, safety, operations, operations, school operations, school operations and um, how we better serve uh, rural and underserved students. And so we had those those four subcommittees that worked on how do we then support the overall goals of literacy and college and career readiness within, within that context. And, um again, the, the conversation, Bill and I, we, we attended the meetings, but we weren't in charge of those meetings. And I, I think that's important to note. Each of those subcommittees had a chair, and they worked with the members of that committee. Now we participated at times in the discussion, but we did not guide or direct the outcomes of those discussions. We wanted that to happen naturally, and we wanted the, the subcommittee members uh, to determine what it was that was most important and critical. And, and Bill, I, I'm gonna read his mind, I know he's gonna get in uh, to talking about how we got through this refining process. Because as I mentioned, we were all over the place in the sense of those subcommittees, but we knew that we had a, a job as chairs that we were gonna to have to get ourselves to a point where the, the full task force could, could vote or could find some consensus around <coughs> um, what the subcommittee work.
1: Yeah, Bill, the governor gave you a deadline in terms of the committee to wrap up its work, you know, prior to the legislative session. So how did the subcommittees and the full task force work together, and then how did you kind of discipline that process to move
0: forward?
4: Well, I think it's important context to actually think about the difference um, between this task force and and, yeah, uh, yeah, and, the, and the previous one. I think maybe, Kevin, you mentioned that at the beginning, I think. Um, you know, we're at a very different place in education in 2019 than we were in 2013 coming out of, you know, um, some of the uh, issues from uh, the Luna laws and other things. Um, in 2013, you know, get, just getting all of the stakeholders to the table was um, probably the most important part of what they did, um, you know, and then in coming and up not with an the, easy part. And yeah. not an easy part because, you know, there, yeah, conversation had effectively stopped. Um, there were a lot of hard feelings, a lot of mistrust, and the 21 recommendations that they came up with, um, you know, was effectively probably the appropriate laundry list at the time. But if you're going to make strategic change, I think we all know um, in, in the organizations that we, that we are a part of, but particularly in, in, in you know, in, for example, in the business world, you cannot have 21 strategic priorities um you really can't even have more than a couple um and serve them appropriately and so one of the things that when debbie and i were speaking with the governor early on was you know what are what are your overarching goals and then how do we drive its strategic priorities and particularly in a in a time frame that was as truncated as this one was um you know, that actually can be a real advantage because what it requires is focus pretty quickly. And, and, and the idea that Debbie and I posited to, to the governor was that we wanted to get to um, a very short list of, of overarching um, recommendations, you know, and sort of no more than... The initial, my initial idea was two or three. You know, the governor's initial idea was about six or so, and I think we kind of compromised somewhere in the middle Um, because, frankly, that provides an appropriate focus for around those overarching goals of literacy and college and career readiness for the next number of years. But things that are actionable um, by all the stakeholders, and so that became the 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 um, north star, if you will, for for the task forces. We are going to drive at. Um, a small number of very strategic recommendations. And what that does is in that that decisioning process that Debbie mentioned earlier is you get a lot of really good ideas, but it separates the good ideas um, that are, you know, probably important on some level and nice to have from the strategic what is going to absolutely move the ball or make the most difference idea. And you have to, you have to sort of view everything through that lens and so in the subcommittees the, the charge that Debbie and I ended up trying to to give to the to the subcommittee chairs as well as the subcommittees themselves and I think this is the reason that it was important for Deb and I and 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 Greg to be in those rooms again as, as Debbie said more as just kind of an observer and a participant on a rare occasion but to continue to remind the groups that everything needs to be through that lens of what is the most strategic um, in your area of focus what and and especially as it relates to those overarching um, two goals whether directly or indirectly but what 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 gets you down that path and i think that's what those groups did over time they started with as debbie said a um, kind of a a larger list of things related to whether it's rural and underserved or it's the teacher pipeline or it's um, operations uh, facilities and school safety and then started driving it through that lens of, well, what really does support literacy? What really does support college and career readiness?
1: And the recommendations came out of the subcommittees. It wasn't that Bill and Greg showed up and here's the governor's Christmas list, I'm gonna read them no. off and you vote on them. I saw brainstorming and I saw giant poster boards tacked to the wall and people were voting for their you know three top recommendations and there was a lot of discussion. How did you guys see it? taking place with the way the recommendations were developed.
2: I'm satisfied with the, the subcommittee work. Um, I am sure that there are ideas and strategies <coughs> that didn't get as discussed as others. But again, knowing the time frame and, and knowing, you know, as, as Bill has reminded us, we don't want uh, great to be the enemy of good. That, you know, we're, we're trying to, we had a, a finish line and let's concentrate and focus. I feel like I, I want to, maybe this isn't the right time, but I'm gonna throw it out. Go for anyway. it, go for it. On, on what this process wasn't. This is not the final wrapped up, here you go, it's going to the legislature, it's, it's fully grown and developed and, and it's ready to go. We were very consistent throughout this process that we had the job that we were asked to do was to discuss and develop ideas that would then go to the governor Mm -hmm. for his inspection, his analysis, his review, as he looks at his overall budget. He wanted input from around the state. What is it that you want me to be thinking about and and looking at and um, assigning dollars to? We did that. And and so when we had that final meeting, we went through this process, we reminded the last three meetings specifically, but really um, hard on on the very last meeting, to say... What we're voting on here is what goes to him for his consideration. There will be more work, more development, tweaking of um, not the the concepts, but of how it gets implemented, and more work has to be done after that as well. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Would Bill or Greg, would you guys add anything to what Debbie had to say there?
4: Yeah, I think the the most important component of, of this process is frankly the governor's openness. Anybody that's worked with Governor Little for any length of time knows that you know he is has a deep understanding of, of policy regardless of the area. Um, but that does not mean he does not have an, an open mind. And so there was no preconceived outcome at the beginning of this. It truly was um, I'm sure he you know he had ideas as to what his priorities were. I think he he showed some of those in in in, in his first session as governor as it relates to the literacy money and, and things like that. But the marching orders to the task force were were, hey, look, um, here are the overarching goals, but go let's have the priorities bubble up. And again, as Debbie said, those priorities then come to him as the primary audience. Obviously, there are secondary audiences, including all the stakeholders across the state, as um, from from the task force. But the primary audience was I will use that and take the pieces that that um, you know I think are relevant and make that part of our policy for the next you know uh, five years. Um, I think anybody that that assumes that this process had a predetermined outcome as it relates to the governor's policy. Um, you know, doesn't understand the way in which he in which he works, and 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 the thing that I think that led to is particularly in the subcommittees, but also in the main task force. There was an incredible um, uh, fidelity to the process and the way in which all of the people um, really participated, uh, whether they were from the education community or they were from the business community or they were from. Um, you know, uh, the political realm or whatever, the thing that was probably most impressive to me as an outsider coming in and not being sort of familiar with, frankly, very many of the folks um, that were uh, uh, on all of these subcommittees was the earnestness with which everybody came to the table to work at that, uh, to work towards that. And with the... um, an open mind and an open heart, but but a, but a, certainly a perspective. And so there were there were discussions that were hard discussions, but they were they were honest, earnest discussions. And I think that led to um, the recommendations that we arrived at. Um, and that only happens if the governor really sets the tone early on and is thoughtful and 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 in in what he wants to have come out of this. And frankly, Greg gets a lot of credit for that as well. Um, you know, as the policy. Uh, representative of the governor. But I think if the, for, for, the, for the folks listening to this um, podcast, if they're wondering maybe what the, the best outcome is beyond the recommendations themselves <clears throat> is the fact that there was this process um, and that that is what is informing policy. And I think that that process by, by its very nature will lead to the best policy recommendations.
0: Greg, the governor has been watching this process obviously, oh, yeah. and now he's got the recommendations in front of him. What's his uh, What's his reaction been to what's come from the task force? Well, I,
3: I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of him in terms of responding to the actual recommendations themselves. But I know he's very appreciative of the. I mean, we talked about twenty eight meetings, and I think Clark was at. Almost all of them. I mean, there almost. were people. There were people slogging it out, and we had to. Well, in September, we had to. We had to schedule additional meetings just in order to kind of get. Yep to October 1, and so there were people that committed a lot of time and resources and energy and driving time. We talked about Jody Hendricks. Yeah, Jody Hendricks uh, put <laughs> 10,000 10, 10, miles on his rig from
4: St. Mary's to the various meetings.
3: You know, Sean Keogh traveled a long way. Jennifer. Legislators, yeah, Jennifer Parkins, who, um, and you know, they, you know, they, and they came to subcommittee meetings, they came to main task force meetings. I think that's the most exciting thing that the governor um that 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 there was just that level of participation across the board both in the subcommittees and the main committee and that they were able in a very quick amount of time five months uh to be able to kind of come together around six
0: main recommendations in these areas so, so i know you're not going to pick the governor's hand about what he's doing but can you at least give us a sense of how he looks at these recommendations now and how he works through processing these recommendations in the, the context of the budget that he'll deliver sure. in January city of the state that he'll
3: deliver in January. Well, I think you reported a couple of days ago, obviously, there was that memo went out and, you know, K-12 is exempt. But, you know, again, that doesn't mean that we're not looking at K-12 through a broader uh, policy perspective. The budget and cut memo. Just the budget cut memo, you. excuse me. Um, so... I mean, I think we're, of course, we, and we talked about this in the task force, there are fiscal considerations that are being made. This is clearly a five-year plan. I mean, this is a pretty, these recommendations comprise a pretty big elephant that's going to take some time in order to determine what does the policy look like in terms of legislation or board policy or other things, and then fiscally, uh, what is the responsible approach in order to make them happen, or what are some areas that maybe in policy need to be recalibrated. But I think the governor has shown himself to be, you know, fiscally conservative, fiscally responsible. um, And I think he's going to look at these recommendations through that lens, too.
1: Let's take a second and talk about a couple of the recommendations and what they actually are. uh, The final meeting was earlier this month, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, But they touch on, like I said, the governor's goals were early literacy and, and college and career readiness. But let's take just a couple of minutes and go through what some of those recommendations actually are? What actually came out at the end of the task force with support?
2: Uh, As far as the the rural and underserved subcommittee uh, made a recommendation about uh, state-supported optional all-day kindergarten. We know that um, many districts around the state are offering that in some form, whether it's, you know, they they support it through their um, discretionary or general fund. There's really no discretion in a lot of ways, but their general fund or um, they will go and tax their local um, patrons, or use existing literacy it, dollars, or, or supplement, right, as, as a form of intervention uh, for their students. Um, and we've also we see uh, we saw a recommendation uh, for uh, the teacher pipeline, particularly our veteran teachers, towards building out the career ladder. And I think um, that the message that we want to attach to that is similar to that of all day kindergarten. School districts, um, by and large, are are paying are paying above um, the allocation. That they receive so they're getting into their general fund again they're they're taxing their local patrons um, to support that otherwise teachers go to districts you know that can pay more and if you're a rural district you don't pay above that and so you have a very difficult time retaining any of your teachers let alone your more experienced ones um, as far as the the safety and operations we see a recommendation about um, training our teachers some form of professional development on social emotional learning, trauma-informed learning. There's a lot of great models around the state. Um, I think the best solutions uh, for this in in the districts are local solutions, but I also think that the state has an interest in in providing some general guidance um, towards that. Uh, The budget subcommittee, uh, the, the recommendation centered on collapsing line items to create greater flexibility within that budget, maintaining some uniformity Across the state, in some areas, the career ladder would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think it was five percent of of the total. Anyway, five percent of of a total budget would be, you know, the, the collapsed in, into the the general fund. Um, and then uh, items on accountability center on who ultimately in this process of day to day operations of getting the job done of student achievement. Who do we look to? Who do we say, all right, this is the group that we believe is ultimately responsible um, to helping students succeed in? And, and um, the the sub, or the task force and subcommittee members um, ultimately agreed that it is a board. It is a locally elected board that knows the, the culture, the expectations, the environment of their community. They are elected by people. They hire a super, superintendent slash CEO than to execute that, and, and well-managed um, districts have these uh, pieces of the pie, which are boards that are strategic in their governance and in their policy, and they have a superintendent that, that executes and implements those things, um, and that, that leaders create that culture. And and Bill, you know, he's, he's spoken quite a lot on... Um, the efficacy of having these types of boards.
1: I was just going to ask Bill about the accountability plan because Bill has been very clear throughout the process that it's not a gotcha. And that's an ineffective way uh, to run (coughs) an accountability system. But you talk about empowerment and education and changing the culture. Can you just kind of talk about those ideas real briefly and and what it means when you say it's not a gotcha? It's not a a surprise. You know,
4: Accountability in any high-performing organization, business, um, or otherwise, is uh, uh, creating a system of uh, continuous imp- um, improvement. Um, and continuous improvement comes from strategic direction and then and then course corrections um, based on data over time, and, and you have a culture um, that, that surrounds that. At the end of the day, when you look at the education system in Idaho, um, you, know, you have to embrace the elements that, that, that define our, our system um, and then understand how do, you co- how do you deal with that from a culture perspective? Because as we know, um, uh, leadership creates culture, culture creates results in any organization. All right, so from a culture perspective in Idaho, we're a local control state. That means that ultimately our schools are accountable to those local communities and that the local communities ultimately should, can, and should get the schools that they want and desire and the outcomes that they desire, all right? Well, how do we create a culture around that? Well, it's creating simplicity for our, our local communities, for our, those local stakeholders, to understand the efficacy of their schools to whatever, you know, to what they're trying to produce. One of the problems in education, and, and I've heard you guys talk about it before, and you guys meeting Idaho Ed News, um, is that there are so many measures, and there, it, is, it is such a complex system that frankly that simplicity that you're driving at is, 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 is really difficult. And so what ends up happening, instead of a strategic culture where you're looking at continuous improvement, it's a culture of gotcha. Um, hey, this measure came out and your schools didn't hit the mark and gotcha, you must be doing something poorly, or hey, this measure came out and you must not be doing something poorly, instead of looking at what, it is, what, are, what are we actually driving at and what is our instructional efe- efficacy rel- related to that? What are our plans for, what are, we, what are we trying to move the dial on from a leadership perspective? And Our response in the task force was to say, look, if we can arm those, as Debbie said, those boards and those leadership groups, the, the superintendents and the building principals, with a simple beginning of an accountability structure that everybody on a local level can understand and we can train around it and understand it, then they can start asking appropriate questions which lead to that kind of cultural change. And, and the appropriate question isn't what score you got. It's, for example, let's take the what, what we talked about, which is the IRI. Yeah. The score in the IRI isn't the relevant measure. What is relevant is growth in the score. And what's also re- relevant is not only growth in the score, but growth in the score relative to an appropriate cohort. And what I mean by that is, again, if I'm in rural or remote Idaho, um, and we'll pick on an example that was that was o- um, uh, overused many, many times through the process, uh, Bruno Granby. If I'm in Bruno Grandview and my, my IRI scores in K, 1, 2, or 3 are X, and I'm being compared to, um, you know, uh, an elementary school in the foothills in Boise, Idaho, that's an inappropriate cohort for a whole bunch of reasons. Free and reduced lunch, poverty, ELL, all these other things. And so can I draw appropriate conclusions on a statewide basis? No, I really can't. But what I can do is if if I'm given appropriate clarity in a community and I'm on the board um, of the Bruno grandview School District or I'm a patron of that school district and I can understand we're showing X amount of growth in our IRI scores through the kinds of interventions that are happening in our schools. Whether it's um, all-day K or it's um, uh, reading programs or whatever, how they're using the literacy dollars, but I can compare that to another district in the state that's that's rural, remote, that has similar levels of ELL, similar levels of free and reduced lunch, and other things, and I can say, perhaps we're getting you know X amount of growth, and they're getting X plus. What is it that they're doing? And and the real the culture comes from asking that intellectual curiosity of asking the question, what is it that that someone else is doing that we could effectively use, and incenting the behavior of sharing best practices. What became clear in this task force process as you sat there in all these subcommittee meetings is there's incredible stuff, and you guys know this better than anybody, happening across Idaho. What we're missing in many cases is that, um, that clear uh, incentive and ability to share that you know, and, and to look at it from a common understanding and a common set of numbers. Well, the IRI and growth in the IRI, particularly to something that's foundational as literacy, can help us do that. It can, and It can help, if I'm a parent in Boise, Idaho, or I'm a parent in Lewiston, Idaho, or I'm a parent in Idaho Falls, or I'm a parent in Bruno Grandview, or Melba, or whatever, I can start asking the question, are our schools driving the kind of growth that we sh- should expect to see relative to others in the state, and if they're not, what are the things that those schools are doing that we should be doing? And again, leadership can ask those questions. The board can ask those questions. And over time, that becomes a virtuous cycle. And then if the districts want to hang other things on that accountability framework around that, whether that be numeracy or um, you know, uh, co- uh, career readiness or CTE or other, that's up to those local communities ultimately. But let's start from a common language, one of the common language we have in this state is right now around IRI and is around the, the the growth in that measure, and that's a great place to start. But that's all it is is a place to start. And if you get this culture, and we've seen it work in other states, it's a bit of the Massachusetts model, right? But with, um, it's a bit of uh, models that have worked in other states, where they're simply what they're trying to do is create a culture of continuous improvement, and the schools want to do that. And we have great examples of that. You know, Debbie and Greg and I sat in a meeting here recently with um, the superintendent of the Boise School District um, and one of their building principals. And you know, unbeknownst to the task force, this is exactly what when Kobe took over as, as, as superintendent of Boise, he did. They looked at their growth and their scores across their district relative to the other districts in the SIC and said, you know, we're not achieving the growth that we should in our buildings uh, rel- you know, relative to what those around us are doing. What are they doing? And they went out and asked that question, and they were very honest about that. And they've started to uh, to and change behavior, and they're seeing incredible growth already. That's not a gotcha.
2: That's or a high stakes. Or a high stakes. A high st- 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 that's no, that's, s- we're not talking about that.
4: It's 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 a cultural change. To say we are going to we are going to have humility and curiosity to find out what is the best, what are the what are the appropriate interventions, or d- differences, or changes, or things that we can do to achieve the kind of growth we want to achieve. That was a fantastic event, a learning event for us, that that's occurring, and, and what we'd like to see is that that occur across the state.
1: Yeah, Th- thank you for, for going deep like that and explaining where it came from, because I get the sense that that's the one that maybe I wasn't as able to describe to my readers, and there may have been a little what exactly does this work? I wanted more information about so, this, so thank you for so what So, you know, I'm
4: sitting in these first few meetings, and, and I have the benefit, I have the, 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 the deficit of not knowing what Debbie and Greg know. Yeah. Or, frankly, almost but did it. You,
2: but did you hear him roll off those um, acronyms? I did. I, did. I yeah. learned them quickly.
4: I
1: see. But, you know,
4: the or what everybody else in the room. But I also had the benefit of, you know, maybe not. Sometimes not not being burdened by um, the system, you know, uh, or being having been a part of it, and I'm sitting there and I'm I'm hearing all this stuff in And what what occurred to me, again early on, was the these these great examples of this culture, but that what we're if I was on a board in a local district, I wouldn't know. It would be so opaque. There's so much that where could we strategically focus and could we ask that question? And could we train our boards? And so what what started to become clear was, can we just simplify it? And start from a very simple, easy to understand, statewide adopted, but locally applied kind of a a perspective to say, are we getting the kind of growth that we should be seeing relative to other districts or, or school buildings that look like us? And if we just start there, that's going to lead to a a, a culture change in in many districts across the state. And that's really where it came from.
1: Yeah.
2: If I could throw something in real, real last year. Last week was the Idaho School Board's um, uh, state conference. Conference? Conference. Up in North 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 North. Idaho. Yes, and um, I I was asked, or our board, anyway, we were asked to uh, present uh, the recommendations. And so I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting conversation when we get to the accountability piece because we've talked about it and but uh, but in that setting with that audience of people I thought okay well let's see how this flies <laughs> with this group so there are about 50 people in the room um, a handful of superintendents but clearly uh, predominantly school board members yep. so before I got to that recommendation I just I asked a question I said I'm just gonna ask a question to see kind of where, where the room is before I throw this one out where do you believe um, the accountability ultimately rests um, with student achievement, and out of the gate, a gentleman from Sandpoint raised his hand and he said, "I'm a trustee. I was elected. It's my board." And he said, "And then we hire a superintendent, and we say get that job done. We make the policy. We make the decisions. We ask them to do it." He said, "You know, essentially, the bu- the buck stops here." And I said, "Perfect. You're going to love my next nice <laughs> recommendation." But I looked around the room, and heads were nodding. And you know, and I don't bring this up to you know to pat anybody on the back, but I, I fundamentally believe, and I think that little you know straw poll of 50 people confirms that that boards want to be in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. and that this is not foreign to them, and that they don't think, whoa, 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 why are all of a sudden are you making me in charge of these things? They know it, they get it. That that's why they stick with it. That's why they they volunteer their time is because they want to do that. And then to Bill's point. How does the state support that and then get out of the way so that they can get the job done?
1: Yeah, We've been having an awesome discussion and I'm pleased with how much ground we've covered, Uh, but it sounded like Kevin maybe had a question and then Bill wanted to jump in
0: and then I'll ask a final question to wrap up. I wanted to ask a little bit about the the legislature and where this goes with the legislature. Greg, at the outset, you talked about how the makeup of this committee was deliberate. You wanted more legislators at the table in this process. Well, in that last meeting, You had several Republican legislators either abstain from voting on the recommendations or outright opposing some of the recommendations. How do all three of you read those votes and those results going forward taking this to the State House? Well,
3: like Debbie said, I mean, this process is not over. Um, I think every single vote, I think, you know, uh, it was a personal decision. I think, you know, Chairman Cloud, Chairman Mortimer, Um, and and Chairman Cloud told me in the first task force subcommittee that he kind of felt like in the same position of not wanting to weigh in because he knew this stuff would come before him so I think that that's where their comfort level was. You know, Senator Winder and Representative Marshall did vote yes on a few recommendations, as you well know, if you've been really going to these meetings. Representative Marshall is passionate about the teaching profession, a profession he comes from, and was very supportive of the career ladder and in, in, in build out and in, you know, uh, doing everything we can to retain more educators. And then we had some legislators who expressed some concerns, and I and I in the run up to the meeting, I had discussed those with them, and then obviously they were clear about those reservations um, either by abstaining or voting no I think for, for the for us what it does is it informs because this process isn't over what that policy is going to look like and some of the concerns that we're going to need to address moving forward should the governor select some of those um, recommendations to, to put forward in policy
2: I want to refer back to um this you know this 50 people i'm, I'm putting a lot of stock in these 50 people but i, I think that this is a is an interesting example um, talking a, about the the legislative perspective um compared to other perspectives around the state so as we went through the recommendations and, and right out of the gate i told the room that you know i'm not here to promote one or one over the other i don't know what the governor is going to choose right now we're agnostic towards all of them we're just going to you know this is where the the committee came so every recommendation that came up uh board members in the room we like that how do we help get this moving there was a lot of talk on the all day k and and so i said hey raise your hand if you're already just out of curiosity if you're already doing it three-fourths of the the hands went up in the air and i said for those that can't offer it for whatever reasons if you could would you the rest of the hands went up in the air and so somebody said well how, how do we help this conversation and i said well i i think you know talking to your your legislators and 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 providing the evidence and a compelling story as to why this is important and, and why this is your expectation so um what was interesting and i thought about this for days after it was it was puzzling to me that in this room you had elected school boards who who um, we're concerned that, you know, if, if the are legislative representatives that those feelings didn't match and yet they're, they have the same constituencies. They're elected by the same people. And so um, it, I, I'm curious, like everyone else in the room, to see how this um, comes together because you have, again, the, the people that are involved in the day-to-day operations of, of schools saying, these things, and it's not just about all decay, but these things are expectations. These are things that would help us. Um, and then we also know that you know that there has been a lot of um, discussion from our elected officials that say, well, we're not exactly sure. So I, I think that we're gonna wanna closely watch what happens in districts to see how those conversations come together.
1: We've covered a lot of ground today. I want to thank our guests. We have State Board of Education President Debbie Critchfield. We have Greg Wilson, advisor to Governor Brad Little. We have Task Force Co-Chair uh, Bill Gilbert. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Any final thoughts uh, about this process? Anything that I didn't get to uh, that you guys uh, want to point out before I let everybody go today?
4: Um, I think the, for, for, for people that are listening, you know, to, to re-emphasize one one important point, um, and that is that you had stakeholders from every sort of part of the um, education elephant, right? A very complex system um, with many different stakeholders and, 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 and many different perspectives that came together over the course of several months for an earnest conversation um, about what the most sort of strategic priorities were, that those priorities were sort of rose to the top, were then voted on with, with a unanimous support from, um, you know, everybody from education, business, and the other stakeholder groups um, outside of the sort of more politicized members of the, of, of, of the, of the group. Um, but frankly, as Debbie said, all that is doing is informing um, the governor, who is the primary audience, that these are what we think should inform your agenda over the next number of years, as, as Greg said. What happens from here is a process of, of fleshing that out both with the governor um, as he moves forward, with the legislature, with the state board, and, 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 and the other policy um, making groups. Um, but, they, but what they have the benefit of is the, is the collective wisdom and work of, um, what, 80 to 90 folks that spent a, a great deal of time in the last number of months.
1: I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, You guys are busy professionals. Debbie traveled to be here today. I can't thank you enough for coming together in one room to do this as a real treat for our listeners. So thank you all so much. Uh, Kevin and I are gonna be back. I will be back next week with one more edition of the Extra Credit Podcast before taking a little break. Uh, for Thanksgiving, but want to thank everybody. Uh, this was a cool podcast. We'd love to hear uh, your feedback uh, about it either on Twitter or you can send us a, an email, but uh, Kevin and I always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, breaking down this complicated intersection of education policy and education politics, and we appreciate everyone coming along uh, for the ride. We had a lot of fun with today's special episode, uh, so thank you so much. I'm Clark. Okay. Have a good week.